Well, good morning. It's a, a blessing for me to be with all of you. And wow, I've never heard Logan and her band. I like it. I've become a fan. Wonderful. I have the privilege of working with Logan's manager, I grace to you, Don, her husband. But uh, it's wonderful. I hope they sing again tonight so that we can enjoy that. Thank you, Carol, for praying and for Alex for her kind introduction. We thank the Lord and Lauren and all of you for the honor of opening the Word of God together. It is a blessing, truly an honor for me to be with a group of sisters like all of you who is committed to the serious study of the Scriptures. Your effort in studying, listening, applying the Scriptures blesses all of us who are around you. Your husband, for those of you who are married, your children, grandchildren, people you work with, the people you are involved with at church, at other places, all of us are really splashed by the blessing that your lives bring to those of us who surround you. And I pray that this brief study will supplement what you have already studied in Leviticus chapters 17 through 25. We are planning to explain some passages in this section that are very important or seem confusing or hard to understand and apply. And we're going to look at six categories commanded by the Lord to Israel that help us to be walking in holiness with our Holy Lord. We're going to divide our study in six categories. We're going to start with the first one. In Leviticus 17, we can go to verse 10. The first one in Leviticus 17 we find holiness in their use of blood. Holiness in their use of blood. I told you some of them might be confusing. We are not going to avoid those that seem to be confusing at first. We really want to help you by the Lord's grace to understand to the best of our ability and apply properly. Leviticus 17.10, look at the text. Here the Spirit of God through Moses says, and any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off, kill him, is the idea, from among his people. Now let's clarify. This is not Spanish morcilla. Morcilla is a blood sausage made with pork or other types of meats with spices and other ingredients. Some of you might have tasted it. In fact, in the UK, they also have it, and they call it black pudding. And they also have it in France. They prepare it in stews, salads, soups, and a number of other recipes. And believe it or not, for some of you, many people like it. Now, some of you might think, ew, who would eat that? I'll stick to my classic Hebrew national beef franks. <laughs> Max McDonald's breakfast sausage. That's the farthest I will go, some of you might think. But for those of you who like blood sausages, you don't need to feel guilty. You can eat them to the glory of God. And I'll tell you why. Because the dietary laws of Leviticus no longer apply to us, as First Timothy 4 and other passages indicate. But more specifically... Leviticus 17.10 is not referring to blood sausages. So, what does Leviticus 17.10 is talking about? 
Leviticus 17.10 refers to fresh blood. Now this is getting worse. <laughs> Leviticus 17.10, as you know, let's say refers to raw blood, uncooked blood. Now, who would have liked to eat fresh blood? You say, well, my children sip fresh blood from time to time from their bruised finger. But this is talking about something different. In those days, people knew that an animal without blood could not live. And therefore, they understood that blood was necessary to live. And here's the key. They ate blood. They ate fresh blood in those days. The fresh blood of animals. Animals that they offered in sacrifice or animals that they ate. They ate the fresh blood of those animals and they did it because they thought, listen to this, that their life would be prolonged or strengthened by the fresh blood of the animal. Kind of what we think of today, if we have our kale and quinoa smoothies, <laughs> or whatever other superfood, you know, as we call it, where you take it and you think, this is really going to help my immune system. This is really going to boost my health. But in those days, it went beyond that. It was a superstitious practice. And in verse 11, the Lord told them why they were not to eat blood. This is a key verse in Leviticus. Look at Leviticus 17:11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. This means that blood is necessary to live. And therefore, blood represents life. And look at why the Lord gave them blood. Next phrase in verse 11. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement. This means to cover sin for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Again, that covers sin. Listen to this. Blood represents life. And the shedding or spilling or pouring out of blood refers to a violent death. As we see in Genesis chapter 9. Yes, blood would provide life. But not in the twisted sense that pagans believed. But in the sense the Lord intended by pouring the blood of the animal that was killed violently. In order to show that the animal died in the place of the sinner. And sin was covered because God's wrath had been satisfied and the sinner could live. Of course, ultimately, life could only be provided through the violent death of the one to whom all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to, our beloved Lord Jesus Christ. So, when the New Testament talks about the blood of Christ, it is not referring to the liquid. It is referring to his violent death in our place, to cover our sin. And therefore Leviticus 17.11. Is even pointing to the way our Lord would die. Because think about this. Our Lord could have died peacefully. Just laying down and going to sleep and dying in his sleep. But no. He had to die in a violent way. Just as he did in the cross. Just as all the sacrifices pointed to, they had to point 
to the violent death of our Lord starting here. This shows the accuracy of the scriptures. He had to die in a violent way. And obviously, death on a cross was a very, very violent way to die. And this encourages us to trust our Lord, to trust in his word. Because this verse, again, among other very rich truths, is pointing to something of the way our Lord would die. Now, let's move on to the second category of six. In chapter 18, we find the second of six categories that helps us to walk in holiness with our holy Lord. Very important chapter in Leviticus chapter 18, we see holiness in physical intimacy. Holiness in physical intimacy. We could say that Leviticus 18 is an expansion of Genesis 2.24. Remember, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Leviticus 18 can be seen too as an expansion of Exodus 20.14. You shall not commit adultery. You could even say that Leviticus 18 is an expansion of the Lord's standard for sexual purity in every age. Now, the only explicit command related to physical intimacy in Leviticus 18 that is not repeated for us under the New Covenant in the New Testament is Leviticus 18.19. Listen to what Leviticus 18.19 says. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness during her menstrual impurity. Why would the Lord say that a woman is impure during this time of the month? I mean, he created a woman's body. Why should he say this? Probably for three reasons. And we say probably because the scripture does not say this is why the woman, etc. One, reason number one. To emphasize that blood was something precious, as we just saw in Leviticus 17. To emphasize that blood was something precious. Two, another probable, probable reason, maybe because of health reasons to avoid infections. Maybe because of health reasons to avoid infections. Remember, in that day, antibiotics did not exist as we have them in our day. And a third possible reason, in light of Leviticus chapter 11, to keep them away from the corrupting influence of the Gentile unbelievers. To keep them away from the corrupting influence of the Gentile unbelievers. This would have discouraged Jewish women to marry a pagan man. Why? Think about it. An unbelieving man would have said, what? Israelite believing woman, you can't be with me during this time of the month? What, what's wrong with you? Again, remember that this command does not apply to us because we are not Israel. We are the church and we are not under the old covenant. And this command is not repeated in the New Testament. Therefore, do not think that a woman is dirty or inferior to a man or even sins. If she is with her husband during this time of the month, that is a wrong understanding and a wrong application of this verse to our day. Now move on to verse 24. Leviticus 18, 24. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. 
What kind of things? What are these things? You remember the chapter. Any kind of sin in this area described in verses 6 through 23. Any kind of expression of fornication, which is really what this chapter is dealing with. Any kind of sin in this area describes, described in verses 6 through 23 defiles. Any kind of sin in this area defiles. And notice verse 24. By all these the nations, Egypt and Canaan, he refers in the chapter to Egypt and Canaan, had practiced them and the Lord judged them. This is practically Romans 1 detailed, isn't it? The world lives in this kind of filth, in this kind of immorality. How different from the Lord's design, as you know. According to Hebrews 13:4, physical intimacy between a man and a woman who are married is pure, is undefiled, and enjoys the Lord's blessing. In total contrast, again to verse 24, this defilement. Now, it is important to understand that no other chapter in Scripture deals in so much detail with this theme as Leviticus 18 does. And listen to this. According, some of you might think, I cannot believe this guy there to touch on these things. <laughs> well, this might encourage you. Listen to this. According to Deuteronomy 31, verses 10 through 13. Deuteronomy 31, 10 through 13. The law had to be read every seven years during the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, Beloved sisters, you know that this is with love, trying to help you with all respect, praying that none of you will feel uncomfortable as we talk about these things. But again, according to Deuteronomy 31, 10 through 13, the law had to be read every seven years during the Feast of Tabernacles. This means that even their children would have heard this chapter. And here's a great principle. Leviticus 18 is an important reminder that the scriptures are not divided by rating, like the movies. It is not that Genesis 1 is G, Genesis 3 is PG, and Leviticus 18 is PG-13. No, Leviticus 18 is also a great example of how the Lord speaks in His Word about personal, private matters in a holy way. Not in a sinful way like we tend to do as human beings. Sometimes, as you know, we avoid talking about these topics in certain situations when it might be the right time to talk about them, for example, with our children, or we do it in a sinful way because of our sin. And we may feel ashamed to talk about these issues because of our sin, as in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were ashamed to be naked But Leviticus 18 is probably a good illustration for every Christian father and mother of how to approach uncomfortable topics within the limits of the Word of God. Very helpful. Think about it. How do you approach uncomfortable topics like this with your children or your older children? How do you do it? Approach the subject within the limits of the Word of God. In other words, explain it just as God explains it in His Word. Exercising common sense. Asking the Lord for wisdom. 
When you and your husband consider that the time has come to instruct your children in this area, you and your husband can teach your children our Lord's perfect design for marriage and the blessing it brings to believers who are obedient. This is a great opportunity. Think about it. This is a great opportunity to evangelize your children and if they are believers, to edify them. And even as they get older, you can show them how the Lord designed that their physical desires in this area should be satisfied with their spouse, just as Solomon taught his son in Proverbs chapter 5. And single or married, we all need to avoid anything that feeds sinful desires and occupy our minds with the Word. And being involved in the church is key. This is how we can maintain purity. This helps us to consider how to apply Ephesians 6.4 as we raise our children in the instruction of the Lord again in every area of life within the bounds of Scripture. Now let's move to the third category. In chapter 19, we find the third of six categories that helps us to be walking in holiness with our Holy Lord. In Leviticus 19, we see holiness in daily life. Holiness in daily life. Look at chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Leviticus 19, verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. In other words, they were to distance themselves. They were to separate themselves from sin, just as the Lord does. They were to reflect the relationship they had with Yahweh, with the Holy One, by distancing themselves from sin. And now, in the rest of the chapter, he explained to them how this holiness looked in their daily lives. As you remember, in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, we find Leviticus 19.2 applied to us, to Christians. And according to 1 Peter 1.14-16, we show holiness by not yielding to our sinful desires and staying away from sin. That's how practical this is. We show holiness in our daily lives by not yielding to our sinful desires and by staying away from sin. Sometimes when we talk about holiness, we imagine Someone who almost walks on water, on the air. This is holy. This is a holy woman, a holy man. This is what holiness is, to stay away from sin. Do you know how to show holiness when your daughter-in-law sins against your son? Against your cherub? <laughs> against your perfect baby? How do you show holiness when your daughter-in-law sins against your son? Don't yield to sinful anger. Choose to love her and pray for them. That could be an application of this principle. Do you know how to show holiness when your children don't seem to care that you are a widow? Don't give in to self-pity and bitterness. Choose by the Lord's grace to thank the Lord for them and pray for them. Do you know how to show holiness when you want to get married but no candidate seems to be interested in you? 
or you are married but can't have children, don't be jealous of those women who have what you want. Thank the Lord for His plan for your life and look for opportunities to serve His church and evangelize the lost and keep praying and submitting to the Lord's will and focusing on being faithful by His grace. These are just a few examples of how holy life looks like according to Leviticus 19 and applied by 1 Peter 1. Another area in verse 27, look at it, Leviticus 19:27. Another area where the Lord wanted them to show holiness is in verse 27. Some have applied this verse to forbid tattoos. Leviticus 19:27, you shall not round off the side growth of your heads, that is do not Trim or cut your hair. Let's stop there for a minute. A historian, you might remember, very famous Herodotus, the historian, said that some tribes did this in order to honor certain gods. So this had some sort of connection to idolatry. And look at verse 27, how it continues. Verse 27 at the end. Nor harm or cut the edges of your beard. Did the Lord want a pirate-style beard? What was wrong with cutting your hair or your beard as a man? Verse 28 helps us to see that this seems to have been connected to idolatry. Look at Leviticus 19.28. And you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am Yahweh. What is this? In those days... These tattoos were done to indicate that they were slaves to some God. And it seems that verses 27 and 28 refer to practices that the pagans had to show their sadness due to people dying. So the Israelites were to avoid these practices to show that they were separated from sin and again, and to reflect the God they served as well. Now, we must clarify that this does not prohibit cutting the beard, the hair, nor does it prohibit tattoos. Careful moms, don't think I got the verse <laughs> to tell my son, no, you're not getting that tattoo. No, no, no. This does not prohibit cutting the beard, the beard, not the bear, the bear too, I'm sure, if you have, a, if you have one. We must clarify that this does not prohibit cutting the beard. The hair, not does it prohibit tattoos for at least two reasons. First of all, as we just explained, these were customs related to idolatry in those days. These were anchored in the historical situation in which the Spirit of God through Moses gave these instructions. And secondly, this was part of the law that God gave to Israel. Remember, this is part of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, or we also call it the Mosaic Covenant, or the Law. Different terms to refer to the same thing. The Old Covenant, or the Law, has already been fulfilled by our Lord and replaced by the New as we celebrated in the Lord's Table, as we read in 1 Corinthians 11. Remember, this cup is the cup of the New Covenant. And we live under the New Covenant. The Lord has made us partakers of the new covenant as a church. And in the New Testament, in the church age, none of these practices are commanded for the believer. Remember, the church did not exist during the, during the time of Leviticus. 
the church was born in Acts 2 in Pentecost. So, a haircut or a tattoo falls under the category of Christian liberty. And in that case, principles such as not using your freedom to satisfy sinful desires apply. Principles like do not use your freedom to hinder the gospel. Do not use your freedom to contribute to another Christian sinning. Galatians chapter 5, Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to tattoo your husband's name on your shoulder, well, that's between you and the Lord. But again, this is an area of Christian liberty. Now, we move on to chapter 20. Here we find the fourth of six categories that helps us to be walking in holiness with our Holy Lord. In Leviticus 20, we see holiness in punishment. Holiness in punishment. In chapters 18 and 19, the Lord prohibited several of the same sins that we find in chapter 20. But here in chapter 20, the Lord commanded that those sins were to be punished by death. Here in chapter 20, he repeated seven times that the person who sinned in those ways had to die. He repeated it seven times. And listen to this. This is, this is incredible. Those sins for which they had to die were related primarily to two areas of life. Listen to this. Worship and the family. Those sins for which they had to die were related to two areas of life. Worship and the family. The Lord punished in the most severe way direct sins against worship and the family. This, of course, shows how important worship and the family are to the Lord. In fact, when the Lord gave Leviticus to Israel... The nations of that time punished more severely those who caused a loss of money, not those who damaged worship of their gods, let alone the family. This, was, this made a huge contrast to the pagan nations of their time. And this is a great lesson that it is reinforced in the New Testament. Think about it. An unbelieving woman tends to live for her body, for her clothes, her possessions, but a Christian woman lives to worship our Lord for the spiritual, the eternal. She, if the Lord has given her a husband, children, she lives in Titus 2. That's her life. She worships her Lord by loving her husband, her children, being a good keeper at home. This, this is a very important lesson. Even as believers, it is easy for us to struggle with this, to focus on the temporal, not the eternal. But this is part of the reason why we need to keep the word fresh in our minds and keep fleeing from the temptation to live for the temporal. As our Lord said, remember in Matthew 16, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This is part of the reason why we respond as Christians so differently by God's grace to the whole COVID situation than unbelievers. Why? Because we don't worship health and physical life. We worship the Lord who controls health and physical life. Now, as a side comment, 
In Leviticus chapter 23, yeah, we're not going to get into Leviticus 23. This might be the first and the last time they invite me to come. So I better not, uh, not contribute to that. As a side comment, in Leviticus chapter 23, we see the feasts that they had to celebrate. But remember, quick comment on that. Remember that Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says that all these feasts pointed to something about our Lord's life and ministry. Remember, the role of the priest, of the Levitical priesthood, the role of the sacrifices, all the sacrifices, the priesthood, the feasts, all of that in the Lord's wisdom points to something about the life and ministry of our beloved Lord. And he fulfills them all, and there is no need to celebrate them in our time. Yes, you take off Monday, President's Day, but you, need, you don't take off the week for Pentecost or for any other Jewish feast because our Lord fulfilled them all, and we don't need to celebrate them in our time. Now, in chapter 24, we find the fifth of six categories that helps us to be walking in holiness with our Holy Lord. Five of six. In Leviticus 24, we see holiness in worship. Holiness in worship. Now, again, as I comment, we skipped over chapters 21 and 22. I, we have to admit this is arbitrary. Believing what would be best to serve you. Uh, there's all, obviously, all scripture is profitable. Not that one is more important. Some parts are more important than the others. We don't want to give you that idea. This is just an arbitrary selection, we admit. So forgive us if uh, we didn't touch the passage you had a question on. You can ask your leaders after the session. Your faithful, diligent leaders. In chapters 21 and 22, we see instructions for the priests. And here in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Well, just a quick comment on chapters 21 and 22. In summary, quick comment summarizing and trying to apply there. Leviticus 21 and 22 presents that the standard of living for the priests was at the highest level. At the highest spiritual level, for obvious reasons. They were the intermediaries between the people and the Lord. Apparently in our day would be the pastors. They need to be above reproach, First Timothy 3. But don't get off the hook. Don't think, well, I'm glad I can't be a pastor because I'm a woman. No, no, no. Remember, we're all called to live holy lives. We just saw it in 1 Peter 1.16. All of us need to be holy as the one who called us is holy. We need to imitate the faith, Hebrews, remember, of our leaders, of our pastors. So that could be an application there of Leviticus chapters 21 and 22. Now, going back to Leviticus 24. In verses 1 through 9, the Lord explained to Israel how the priests were to take care of the lampstand and the bread that were in the holy place. And around this time, in verses 10 and 11, Leviticus 24, 10 and 11, a man blasphemed the Lord and cursed, and they brought him to Moses. And look at Leviticus 24, 12. Here's a great principle for us. Leviticus 24, 12. Notice what they did with this man. They put him in custody so that the command of Yahweh might be made clear to them. What does this mean? The idea is this. So that the Lord would tell them what to do with this man. And here comes the answer in verse 13. 
Leviticus 24.13. Look at this. Then Yahweh spoke, listen to this, to Moses saying, Notice that the Lord answered to them through Moses. This is a very important principle. Listen to this. Even at the time of Leviticus, even at that time, when the Lord was revealing his written word, God did not speak directly to everyone. God spoke through the man whom he chose to reveal his word and write it. That's the norm. And this reminds us that we should not expect the Lord to speak to us directly outside of his written word, correctly interpreted. And even more in our time. Why? Because he finished revealing his written word in Revelation around the year A.D. 96. So listen carefully. In our day, God only speaks through his word correctly interpreted. In our day, God only speaks through his word correctly interpreted. And here's one application of this truth. If you are in a situation like they were at that time, if you are in a situation in which you do not know what to do, you need to ask wisdom from the Lord in prayer, James 1, and look for passages that relate to your situation. You dig in the Word, Second Timothy 2, Proverbs 2. You can study those passages using your MacArthur Study Bible, other good books, so that you understand what the Holy Spirit wanted the original audience to understand and ask, is there a principle here that is taught in all the Bible, in particular the New Testament? That could be a principle that the Lord uses to help you to respond to a situation according to Scripture. And of course, as Proverbs shows, you can ask other faithful women for advice or pastors You can ask for their counsel, and they make the decision using common sense in submission to the Scriptures. One more comment in chapter 24. At the end of Leviticus 24, we find the first time in the whole Bible in which the death penalty was applied in obedience to the Lord's command. Here you have the first time in all of Scripture in which the death penalty was applied in obedience to the Lord's command. And here we have an application for child rearing. No, just kidding. No, we won't go there. No, this was for the law only. Only for the law. And yes, we made it to the last chapter for our study today. In chapter 25, we find the sixth category that helps us to be walking in holiness with our Holy Lord. In Leviticus 25, we see holiness in the use of property. Holiness in the use of property. According to Leviticus chapter 25, once they entered the land, the Israelites had to count the years in two ways. One, every seventh year, they were to let the land rest by not sowing or reaping as usual. During that year, they were to eat from the land in a natural way, so to speak. And a second way in which they were to count the years after they entered the land was to celebrate the year of Jubilee every 50 years. In that 50th year, slaves were freed and properties were returned to their original owner. And as with all the word of God, these laws would have contributed, think about this, these laws would have contributed 
to avoid certain excesses and would have provided economic stability. But let's finish with a couple of helpful truths from this great chapter that we can apply to us. Look at Leviticus 25, 20 through 22. Leviticus 25, verses 20 through 22. Leviticus 25, 20. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh day if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Verse 21. Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. Verse 22. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat all things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when its crop comes in. Listen to this. Obeying the Lord in this command would have been a test of faith for the Israelite. Why? Why would it have been a test of faith for the Israelite? Because they would have not sown or reaped during a whole year. But the Lord promised to them here in Leviticus 25.21, look at it again. He promised to them, Leviticus 25.21, that He would send His blessing for them in the sixth year so that the land would have an abundance of fruit to provide for them for the next three years. This was a test of faith. I mean, think about it. They lived, this was their source of life. This was their going to Costco or to Albertsons or whatever other place. I mean, this is where they got their food. The Lord tests us in similar ways, doesn't he? It could be that maybe you're a single mother or your husband is an unbeliever and he neglects his responsibility of providing for you and your children. But you want to be faithful to your priorities in Titus 2 of taking care of your husband, your children and your home and this means that your income is low from, and from what you can see, humanly speaking, you won't have enough to live. Or it could be that you are married to a husband who's a Christian, but he lost his job. Or he made a bad financial decision. And at this point, as always, by the Lord's grace, you have to remember that the Lord has promised in His Word that He will provide for what you need to live while He wants you alive as you pursue obedience to his word. That's Matthew 6, remember? We don't need to live for what shall we eat, what shall we wear, what shall... It's Matthew 6.32, as the Gentiles, as the unbelievers do. No, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6.33. And all these things, all the things that you need to live shall be added unto you. For the time he wants you alive. One more verse. In verse 23. With a wonderful truth. Verse 23. We'll finish with this one. Leviticus 25.23 is very important. Because it gives us the reason why God gave them several of the commands that we find in this chapter. Leviticus 25.23. The land moreover shall not be sold permanently. And listen to this. For the land is mine. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. What a blessing of truth. Think about it. Since the Lord is the owner of the earth, they could not be owners of the land permanently. And therefore, listen to this. The Israelites were as foreigners. 
who were renting a property in a place that was not their home. Hey, don't feel bad if you rent and don't own a home. After all, you can't own a property permanently. We all came with nothing and are living with nothing. And in 1 Peter 1.17, you remember the Lord tells us that we are pilgrims. The earth, this earth, is not our home. We are here on our way to our home, which is heaven. We are here temporarily. We need to leave us when we are on a trip. When you are on a trip, you stay in a place temporarily, and you don't worry too much about the wear and tear of the place where you're staying. Of course. Even, I mean, you try to give a good testimony if you're staying in a hotel. I mean, you don't just, you know, make a mess out of the room where you're staying or the place where someone is hosting you. Or if you have a problem with someone in the place you are visiting, you don't care too much because you know you are leaving and you will probably won't see that person again. Again, you always want to give a good testimony, even when you travel. But that's how we need to live all the time. As if we were on a trip all the time. Because this earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. Let's pray to finish. Our Lord, we bless you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your spirit who wrote your precious truth. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for giving us your spirit to teach us. We pray, Lord, that we'll be like the Bereans. We'll examine everything carefully to evaluate everything that we hear, to filter everything in light of your truth. And we pray, Lord, that your Spirit will apply these truths according to what each of our dear sisters needs. We bless you. We thank you for this ministry. We bless you. And we give you the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.